Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year, ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday and let's get into Season 5. Dr. Ellie Kotler is a psychiatrist and medical director of Melbourne Private Hospital, an addiction and trauma hospital in Melbourne. As an adjunct lecturer at Monash University, he oversees medical students on their addiction medicine rotation. Ellie has an interest in psychedelic assisted therapies and is the Australian director of the Certificate in Psychedelic Assisted Therapies course, Mind Medicine Australia. In today's episode, we chat with Ellie around the psychedelic treatment changes which are emerging in the addiction sector, his excitement for a more holistic and humanistic approach to mental disorders, and the process he works through with his clients. Welcome, Ellie. Welcome to another episode of Pebble in the Pond. I'm your host, Talitha Nat, and this afternoon I'm sat here with Ellie Kotler at the Australian New Zealand Addiction Conference. He's just making funny faces at me because I've just found out I've been calling him the wrong name for probably two or three years now. I've been calling him Eli and it's actually Ellie. So thank you for joining us and thank you for forgiving me for calling you the wrong name for so long. I'm very avoidant. So (laughs) I would never, that's why I've never told you. All right. Tell us about who you are and what you do. My name is Ellie Kotler. I am a person and I'm a psychiatrist and I work at a place called Mulvan, Mulvan Private Hospital in Melbourne and I'm the medical director there and a psychiatrist that works there and it's an addiction hospital and I'm involved in the Certificate of Psychedelic Assisted Therapy run by Mind Medicine Australia and I'm a lecturer. I have medical students, mm-hmm. great time, mm-hmm. and I have a dog and a family. I go, I keep going. And then you tell, you tell <laughs> me to stop. Great. Let's go back to, I mean, what sparked my curiosity around the psychedelic work because it's not that long ago that the TGA came out and said, "All righty, we're going to approve psychedelic usage in a clinical setting." Obviously, there's probably many hoops to to be able to do that. Tell us about the work that you're doing in, in a psychedelic space. Nothing at the moment because it's still illegal. Oh, well. Can you tell <laughs> us about what you want to do? <laughs> but come July, yep. it looks like I'll be able to start using MDMA for people mm-hmm. with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and psilocybin for people with treatment-resistant depression. And that's on the back of some studies out of America and the UK and actually a number of countries. And so that's what will hopefully happen in July. 
at the moment, I'm involved, I guess, in education about psychedelic assisted therapy, but have not worked in it yet because it's not legal. Mm-hmm. Yet. Okay, yes. It's like it will change. What's your take on it, though? I mean, in terms of where you feel there could be benefits or positive impacts or just a different way of working? So it's a big question. I know. It's a good question. <laughs> so I might give a bit of context to it. Question. Currently, we have a mental health system in which we diagnose people, people in boxes, psychiatric boxes. That's how the system works. And then we treat symptoms which make up those boxes. So someone comes and they're feeling really anxious, they might get diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, and then we might try and decrease their anxiety. Someone presents with an addiction, and the treatment revolves around decreasing the behaviors that make up that diagnosis. So the diagnoses are symptomatic, so they're, you know, psychiatric diagnoses are based on symptoms, and then Treatments treat the symptoms. I've never connected that approach. It's the certainly the standard approach. It was never an approach that I connected with. I didn't like that approach and I've never worked with that approach in my clinical practice because psychiatric diagnoses to me are symptoms of other things going on for the person. And I try and work with the person on the other stuff that's going on for them, as well as the presenting symptoms. But I don't see psychiatric diagnoses as like valid disease entities, like appendicitis is a valid disease entity, because psychiatric diagnoses are really more a description rather than an explanation. They don't necessarily explain what's going on. And so I I always worked in a sort of a different framework, which was sort of just trying to understand what's going on person, what they bring, their history, their emotions in particular, and work with people that way. And then the symptoms of whatever psychiatric diagnosis they have hopefully sort of start to go away. And I was kind of working like this and a number of people work like me. I'm certainly not the only one that works in this type of way. And then psychedelics came along and I was so, it was literally the first treatment I've ever been excited about in psychiatry. Mm-hmm. I haven't been around for that long, but I've been around to see a number of new treatments come and some come and go and a number of new therapies come and go. I've never really been excited about any of them mm. until psychedelics came along. And that's why I got involved a number of years ago because I saw a very interesting documentary, which is called Trip of Compassion, mm. which was a documentary done from some of the trials the MAPS trials that they did, that's the, I can't remember what it stands for, but the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies or something run by Rick Doblin in the States. And they did these big studies for PTSD and MDMA. And one of their studies was done in Israel and they took cameras into the rooms, people had PTSD during the MDMA sessions. And what I saw was like me doing therapy with people for five years sort of being done in three months. Wow. And so I was like, wow, that's awesome. And why I'm excited about psychedelics is that it seems, well, it aligns with my sort of approach to mental health, which is 
this is a human, probably had some difficult stuff happen to them. That difficult stuff has probably been packed away, greater or lesser extent. And that packing away of that stuff has then gone on to create other symptoms which are unhealthy. And it all just becomes this destructive cycle. And psychedelics seem to allow people to work through what, what their mind has sort of shut off or what they don't feel safe enough to bring up and work through. Psychedelics seem to allow people to be able to do that. Mm. And so I was really excited about that because that's like how I work anyway. So really aligned with my approach to mental health, mental illness. And that's why I have hope for psychedelics because I think they'll, they'll force us to challenge our assumptions about what a mental illness is. What are we actually doing with treatment? Are we just treating symptoms or maybe there's something underlying this that the person has kind of packed away and it's difficult for us to reach. So I think it will allow us to have more holistic and humanistic approaches to things that we call mental disorders these days. Yeah, absolutely. What's been the process for you to, what's the word I need to use here, like to be qualified to use psychedelics or MDMA in a clinical setting? What, so what do you need to do with the TGA? To be honest, it's a little bit unclear okay. at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, the process will be that I'll have to apply to a human research ethics. Yep. ATREC, I think that's what it stands for. I'll have to apply to an ATREC to be able to become a prescriber of MDMA and or psilocybin. I'll have to justify to them why I think I am suitable for that. Yep. and the sort of treatment protocols I'm going to use. Mm -hmm. And then the process would be for that ATREC to then come back to me and say, okay, you are a suitable prescriber to be able to prescribe MDMA and psilocybin to people with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder and major depressive disorder. And then I will be able to prescribe them. But as to exactly what the ATREC's will need, what I'll need to show them to prove to them that I am appropriate to prescribe these medications, that's not 100% clear. Okay. Do you know anyone, whether it's in a clinical setting or otherwise, that have microdosed MDMA or magic mushrooms, let's say, and had positive results? So I might just first say something else. Yeah. And so it's important to point out that what I'm talking about is not microdosing. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about psychedelic assisted therapy, which I can explain, Yep. but it's very different from microdosing. Mm -hmm. So psychiatrists are not going to be prescribing MDMA and psilocybin for microdosing. They will only be prescribing them for psychedelic assisted therapy, mm -hmm. Yep. which is not microdosing. Would it be, so in terms of dosage, would, would the client have, what would be the recommended dosage? Would it be a microdose that they would be having, or is that kind of up to the patient and the therapist, sorry, the, yes, the patient and the therapist. Yeah. So it's not a microdose. Right. So right. It's okay. A, it's a full dose. Wow. Okay. So with MDMA, that's sort of around 180 to 120 to maybe even a bit more milligrams. Mm -hmm. And for psilocybin, it's something like 25 milligrams, but that might be equivalent to one to two grams of mushrooms, you know, or something. Sure. No, it's a dose to give you a full-on psychedelic experience. Right. It's not a microdose. Right. And the way, I might just explain how that works because it's sort of a new mode of mm -hmm. treatment. So first of all, as a lot of people say, and as I'll say, it's the therapy that helps people. 
the psychedelics allow people access to parts of themselves and to traumatic experiences, etc., that would usually be worked through in a therapy setting. Mm. So psychedelics facilitate therapy. Yep. So it's not like a usual model of medication where someone's on medications for years and the medications are treating particular symptoms. Mm. The model is that the medication allows you to do more powerful therapy. Yep. Okay. You take the medication only one or two or three times. Mm-hmm. And those days when you take the medicine four to six weeks apart and you have lots of therapy before, lots of therapy after each dosing session. But on the day, you actually go in in the morning and it's a whole day. So you have a full dose Yep. MDMA or psilocybin in the morning, and it's, it's the whole day. Right. It affects people for, you know, six hours or. Yeah. That's a long therapy session, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, interestingly, you know, when people are in these states, time. Yeah. Is, it's long, is it's long for the therapists. Yes, it will be. <laughs> doesn't tend to be so long for the person experiencing it because yeah. time loses, often people lose the sense of time. Mm. I've watched a couple of documentaries very sporadically on on Netflix around magic mushrooms in particular in a therapy setting and it's just so interesting to see the journey of the patient and what they remember and the the key takeaways for them and the light bulb moments and the the positive experience that they have in general. Do you feel like other your colleagues perhaps that have a different view to you would look at these treatment protocols as the wrong way forward or or we're branching out too far what what's the general consensus out there i don't think there is a general consensus okay mm. and people tend to have strong views yeah. for whatever reasons it's hard for me to know why other people believe what they believe or think what they think all I can really do is speak for myself, and I suspect I'm very interested in these medicines because of how I conceptualize and understand mental illness. Mm-hmm. I think someone understands depression like they understand appendicitis or diabetes. You know, if someone understands addiction the same way they understand multiple sclerosis, was like they're both just biological diseases, mm. then I think from that standpoint, it might be difficult to understand why psychedelics would help because psychedelics, you open up to yourself and connect to yourself and connect to other people. And so if one looks at depression or addiction as purely a biological illness, like a dopamine deficiency or something like that, Mm-mm. why would psychedelics help? But if you see something like addiction or depression as outgrowths of internal psychological struggles, often based in one's experience in their life, then I think psychedelics make a lot of sense to you. Yeah. So yeah. it might, I mean, I can't really, I can't predict why certain people, certain psychiatrists and certain researchers are not excited about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's difficult for me to presume, but that's one thing that I do believe that I believe it something has to do about how you conceptualize me. So that's one area of work that you're going to be doing quite a bit of working, obviously. Tell us about the area that is addiction in terms of that's probably why we're here at this conference, isn't it? What what kind of work do you do in this space with your clients in terms of the therapy and the sessions and and what you see? I'm just sorry, I'm just gonna say one thing because yeah. I think it's important about yeah. the psychedelics. Mm-hmm. 
it is there is a certain danger to it that in the sense that people will think it's going to save them yeah you know and everyone's going to rush out and have psychedelic assisted therapy and it's i don't think that's going to you know human suffering humans have always suffered and we've always struggled with that i don't think psychedelics are going to come and cure human suffering and mm. there are going to be no humans that are going to be suffering anymore i just wanted to say that it's not going to work for everyone not everyone is going to find peace mm. i just thought that was yeah yeah absolutely no i appreciate yeah. that i think everyone's journey should they go down the journey of psychedelic or mdma assisted therapy is going to be very different and variable as well absolutely okay so let's move back to your work in addiction yeah, so I know that I do work differently than a number of my colleagues. Mm. And again, that's going to come down to how I conceptualize addictions. So I don't want to suggest everyone should do what I do, or I don't want to, and you know, certainly not everyone agrees with my approach and that's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I just <laughs> wanted to put that little caveat there. <laughs> yeah. But so I work with people, you know, with I don't work with people, the people that I see don't have mild addictions. They have really serious addictions that are literally killing them and destroying them. So that's, first of all, that's the sort of, those are the people that I work with. So that's the, that's the context that I'm speaking from. Sure. So with that group of people, I make a few assumptions just purely based on my experience and my understanding of addiction. I make a few assumptions. One is that they have some unresolved emotional pain that part of why they have that pain is not going to be conscious. Like there'll be something about that pain that hasn't been worked through. And I bring those assumptions to my clinical work. So I try, so basically, I mean, I should say that of course there is, there are the behavioral management things and the cognitive management, you know, tricks and, and all those things that need to be done, you know, if you, drinking too much alcohol and it's killing you, you're going to have to put in things in place for you to not drink alcohol. Otherwise you'll relapse. doesn't matter how much inner work you do. So there always has to be both mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes medications as well. But the core of my treatment approach is to try and help people work through in themselves or discover in themselves what that unresolved pain is and why it's unresolved mm. and try and help them face what, they have not been able to face mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And this process alone, I'm assuming, would take, does it take quite some time or do you find that other sessions or patients you can get to that spot quickly? I think it always takes time. Mm. I don't think, you know, sometimes I see, you know, on LinkedIn or whatever, like, you know, it's like, oh, I can, you know, your trauma will be cured in, you know, these five easy steps, yeah. or, you know, this new therapy is going to help you get rid of your trauma, you know, and I think that's a bit of a joke. Mm -hmm. um, it's a sad joke because some people might believe it. But I think working through emotional difficulties, whether it's trauma or otherwise, you know, whatever you want to call it, it definitely takes time. And I think the most, I usually see people for four to six weeks because that's how long people can stay yep. in a private hospital in Australia at the moment. So I see people for four to six weeks. And of course, in that four to six weeks, the person is not going to be able to work through all the issues. But what the person can get in four to six weeks is to 
a greater understanding of what's going on for them so that they, after that four to six weeks, they can sort of redirect their therapy and their journey to like, okay, this is what I have to work on and this is why I have to work on it. So I think that's what people can get in four to six weeks. Yeah. So tell us a bit about, is it Malvern Private Hospital or Malvern Hospital? What's the, what's the place in which it would, Malvern Hospital? Okay. And that is just for our audiences who are listening. Can you tell us about exactly what you specialize in there? I, I didn't realize that Malvern Hospital is only for an addiction center. That's completely new to me. So would you be able to tell us a bit, about, a bit more about, sorry, what the, what the hospital does? Yeah, it's, so it's only for addictions. Okay. It's for all types of addictions, including behavioral ones, eating, sex, gambling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often, often the first week, I mean, most commonly we have alcohol or substance addiction. Yep. And so for the first week, the person is being medically kind of withdrawn from whatever substance they're physiologically addicted to. And then a very intensive psychotherapeutic community-based program Mm -hmm. is conducted and it's very intense. I don't know if I could do it. Really? It's very, very emotionally challenging. Okay. Because we try and help people, you know, alongside helping people develop strategies for their addictions, we really try and help people face their underlying issues, that stuff that they've packed away or that's been forgotten or all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that leads to some very intense times, Mm -hmm. but hopefully it helps people. So when they finish their time with you for four to six weeks, where do they go after that? Do they go home? Do they go to a patient? Do they go to a halfway place? Like what's the process thereafter? So we have a very intensive day program, Mm -hmm. which runs for half day, six days a week, maybe soon seven. It's a really difficult time for period, a time period, that transition back home. It's so difficult because all the old patterns, mm. all the old emotions, all the old relationships just come and, you know, person's thrown right back in them. So those first few weeks are really a challenging time, but that's, and so that's why we have very intensive day programs. Right. And where do people go? Yeah. A lot of people. You know, they go where they go. Some people go on to long-term rehab. Some people go back home. Some people get new accommodation, I guess, depending on what their circumstances. Right. So do you ever see, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to understand is like the life cycle of your patient's journey. You see them when they come through the doors and they're at probably their rock bottom and then they hopefully start to transform week by week and then we get to that period where they leave through the doors of Malvern Hospital, back out into reality do you ever get curious as to what happens to them? Like, do you ever see them come back? Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, of course, some people relapse. That's part of the journey for a lot of people. And, and we also have, we, all, we, we have less intense outpatient programs at, at the evenings for people that go even for years. So, so, so some people, I see them, you know, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested. But because it's also, it's aligned with AA and NA, so dogmatic about it, but know we encourage people to go to those types of groups and it's a bit of a community I guess so you do hear I always hear you know and some of the staff at Malvern or quite a few of the staff actually are in recovery themselves and go to the rooms themselves so it's a bit of a community so you kind of hear about what's going on for people and how people Mm. are doing so yeah that's really interesting so I was thinking today when I was just listening to some presenters and talking with people 
on the floor and I was really curious in my own mind, like I wonder how many people here in this room at this conference who work in the AOD field or the addiction sector in general, I wonder how many people have lived experience of their own because I didn't even, I guess, put two and two together until recent years that potentially the therapists that are there to help you with your own addiction or whatever issue you're addressing understand, can relate to or comprehend what you're going through because they've walked in similar shoes. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's like you often see therapists helping other people because there's something within themselves that they want to also assist or fix or mend. Would you agree with that? I think Gabor was talking about that yesterday. Yeah, so, you know, why people choose to go into therapy, why people choose to become psychiatrists, I think is a very interesting Mm. question. I think that, so I myself have nothing that anyone would consider a severe addiction or anything like that. I have compulsions within my behavior and personality, Mm. definitely. For me, addictions are compulsions and the compulsions cover over other difficulties such as pain and fear and anger and and because i have all of those things pain and fear and anger and certain compulsions of myself i feel like i can connect to people with addictions even though i wouldn't be said to have experience of an addiction yeah but we're all human and all humans suffer and have difficulties so to me, that's the sort of maybe shared experience yeah. to some extent. Yeah. What brings you the most joy in your role? Question. I think helping people work out things about themselves that are really helpful for mm-hmm. them, going to help them. For some reason, I really like that. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure why, <laughs> but I just really like that. Is that like unearthing the unconscious thoughts and behaviours or opening up that can of worms for them to kind of bring or shine that light to, which helps them with whatever they're dealing with? More, more is along the lines of that, but more, more when people sort of have these realisations about themselves, like, oh, that's why I do that. Thing. Yeah. Or that's why I always feel that way. The light bulb moment. Yeah, mm. those types of moments because mm. that's, that's quite special and I think it can really help people. Yeah. Times. So I find that very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you've been a pleasure to speak with this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.